of the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the dagger? It is a great night to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rush down the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, he caught it! Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. It is Tuesday the 6th, and you're tuned in to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Icewinner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good morning. morning. Man, we're finally all back in the same room together. Feels like the first time in a month. Honestly, it really does. Pa- it, Parker's a changed man after that top three toast, you know? It's, it's <laughs> just... Hey, that's what that's what it's all about. That toast yesterday was, if you missed out, oh my goodness, that War Memorial Park breakfast, Fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, we were out there hanging out the Labor Day breakfast. Of course, that all goes to benefit the War Memorial Park Association, uh, which War Memorial Park is such a great park, and it's because of things like this. And I've been seeing a couple pictures around, so if you uh, if you look, I guess with a little bit of a uh, squinted eye, you can probably find us around uh, in a couple of them. But yeah, it was nice. Uh, my breakfast definitely wasn't as good as it was yesterday today, but you know, I guess that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I guess you can look at the pictures and play World's Waldo with the radio guys if you really want to, so <laughs> you can have at it with that. <laughs> But let's uh, jump right into it, I guess, fellas. No better time than the present. Let's start with uh, a little high school football. Now, of course, we'll get into this a little bit later on uh, towards the bottom of the hour when we have Metro News' Joe Bricado come on to the show. But a uh, quick rundown of the Metro News high school rankings that have just been released. Of course, Metro or Metro News, of course, Martinsburg uh, at the top of the list. Jefferson dropped out of the top 10 but received a couple of votes. Uh, Hedgesville also receiving some votes and Musselman uh, with one vote. So, uh, Luke, we'll start with you. Uh, I guess this is pretty much a, pretty much how we expected this rankings to go with, I guess, a few kind of eyebrow-raising moves. Yeah, 100%. And you look back or down towards the top, bottom of this list as well, and Spring Mills gets three votes. If I'm correct unofficially, that's uh, five EPAC teams in the top 17 teams in AAA mm-hmm. with Spring Mills just on the odd. They have the same amount of votes as Parkersburg and Hedgesville, so technically they're sharing that last spot. So in the, if the season were to end today based solely on this poll, not record, five EPAC teams would be in the playoffs, which is just unbelievable when you think about it. Hedgesville is going to start to get attention uh, because I fully expect them to go out and beat East Fairmont this week, who they play uh, coming up from double A. So they're going to be three and O if they're able to hang on to that. And then we've got massive implications when it comes to our panhandle game of the week with Musselman and Jefferson, whoever wins that game, I think solidifies themselves for the time being as the second best team in the panhandle and certainly a playoff team as well. So we know for a fact that just the way that records break down, that two teams will make the playoffs from the EPAC. We're kind of banking on three being a guarantee as well. But uh, as you look at this poll right now, Parker, and the uh, amount of recognition and the amount of talent and talented victories that these teams have had, four isn't necessarily out of the possibility either. No, I don't think so at all. And something I want to bring up as well is why are people underrating Musselman? It was it because of the loss to Martinsburg. Is I, I'm, I'm I feel like it was how they lost to Martinsburg. I, I understand surprised. that. I don't think voters realized it was twenty six twenty at the half. Probably yeah. not. I and that's I just scratch my head there because Musselman beat Spring Mills. They shut out Spring Mills last week, but yet Spring Mills gets more votes than Musselman. That right. that's that's something I'm scratching my head for. I would have flipped both of those in my opinion, but 
And then you're looking at it as well. Hedgesville has seemed to be the uh, unsuspected darling out of this uh, EPAC race here with a schedule that's looked favorable to them that's going to set up later in the season big matchups against Jefferson and Musselman. Those three are probably going to duke it out for that number two spot in the EPAC with Martinsburg seemingly going to run away with the EPAC and probably lock up a number one seed as, if things go to plan. And it's going to be a dogfight, I think, between Hedgesville, Jefferson, and Musselman, between those three. All three can make it in. Only one can make it in, possibly. Who knows? It looks like it's going to be a very competitive top ten right now. You look into them, you got Spring Valley who's looking good, GW's looking good, Morgantown's looking good. you got a lot of teams in that division that are looking fantastic right now. And between these two, maybe someone else is going to come up too. Maybe Washington has a late-season spurt. Who knows? And it's just the fact that there are five EPAC teams receiving votes speaks to the level of competition in this conference. Well, talking about Hedgesville, Luke, you've been pretty high on Hedgesville really since first play. We saw them in our first panhandle game of the week two weeks ago now. Yeah, I mean, think about all the ingredients that you need to have for them to be a really good team. They've got a talented running back, albeit didn't play very well in the first half of the game that we saw. Jackson Ruest just puts tremendous touch on the ball, and he's incredibly mobile as well. The lefty can roll out, whatever. You know, you need players on the outside that can make plays for you, Tanner Matthews and Devontae Martin. They're two completely different players in terms of their style of pass catching. But, you know, Jefferson, when we came in, we knew that they had the best stable of wide receivers, maybe in the state. And then we saw Ray Adamas might be the top wide receiver in the state. And then Martinsburg, not that far behind. And people didn't necessarily give Jefferson their due because of how, you know, they wanted to run the football last year and they're completely changing their scheme. So now that we've seen this team air it out, it just shows how dominant they can be. And then not to mention the big boys that they have up front. And specifically Levi and Eli Faircloth are on the right side of the offensive line, which is a blind spot, obviously, for a left-handed quarterback. And then they're the starting two defensive tackles. And they dominated Washington against that single wing in week one. And they had a good victory in week two as well. So they have all the right pieces. They're, they've got a deep team. They're well-coached, uh, whatever. And, and in terms of comparing them to Musselman and comparing them to Jefferson, I think the difference is that all those teams are really close in terms of talent. But you can make the argument that Hedgesville just has that slightly easier schedule because that's the thing about Musselman. Mm -hmm. Bridgeport and Morgantown just played one of the best AAA games we're going to see all year. It was an incredibly well-played, low-scoring game, what you would expect from two teams that pound the rock. And Hedges, or rather, uh, Musselman plays both of them. And they play Wheeling Park, who's got probably, if if Ray Adamas isn't the best wide receiver in the state, then Jeray Hawkins is. So they're going to have to deal with him. And Parkersburg, which if I'm correct, is at Parkersburg. And I know they're not as good this year, but you never want to play there. And then an out-of-state opponent as well. So that's another thing that goes in Hedgesville's favor. Jefferson's played two really tough out-of-state teams already. They beat Millbrook, but then they lose to Sharando. So they've still got the whole EPAC gauntlet to run. And then Musselman, who's gotten off to a good start in the conference, even though they took one on the chin in the second half against Martinsburg, I think they have significantly tougher schedules than Hedgesville down the stretch. So Hedgesville, we can have the argument, who's the better roster, who's the most talented roster, whatever combination of the three of those teams, I think you could be comfortable picking any one of them. But you can make the argument that Hedgesville is going to have the best record because they have a slightly easier schedule to go along with the weapons that they have. Yeah, Martinsburg comes up against Sharando at their next game. Of course, Sharando beating Jefferson 23. And to me, that was surprising. Maybe not one, but I guess uh, winning by that kind of a margin against a Jefferson team that, you know, still has potential to be a pretty good team uh, here in the EPAC. But with Martinsburg coming to town, or well, Sharando, I guess, coming to town to Martinsburg, do you think that that is that this outcome, or I guess how you think that game plays out with, with Sharando obviously firing on all cylinders and Martinsburg definitely playing their best ball right now? Yeah, I'd have to think so, but I, I I will say that Martinsburg have shown that they can be a first-half vulnerable team. They're starting really slow. They started slow against Musselman. They started slow uh, against Salem in the game that we called, 
They didn't have a touchdown. They had a defensive touchdown. They didn't have an offensive touchdown in the entire first half. So if Sharando can catch them napping, Sharando's the last out-of-state team to beat Muslim, or rather Martinsburg to have all the way back in 2015. So it's something that could happen. That could just shake the balance of power. But I, I don't necessarily think it's likely. We'll have to wait and see in terms of this Jefferson-Musselman matchup. You know, if Jefferson and Musselman go toe-to-toe with each other, that proves that, you know, we're, we've just not been weighting these out-of-state teams fairly against Jefferson. The Millbrook's better than we thought. Sharando's significantly better than we thought. And, and then we can say that that's going to cause problems for Martinsburg down the line. But, you know, if Musselman handles Jefferson, then maybe we can say we were just a little too high on this Jefferson team to begin the year. Maybe they're the third or the fourth best team in the EPAC, and then Martinsburg's going to get back to winning ways. You know, the next couple of matchups, and it's going to be exciting to see once we pick our Week 4 and our Week 5 panhandle game of the week because things really start to open up after this one because that Martinsburg-Millbrook game... Uh, I'm sorry, spring uh, Highland Springs game is what I meant to say. Week four is going to define whether or not I think Martinsburg's going to have another undefeated season. You've got some other great games coming down the pipe as well. We were talking before we came on the air about Morgantown coming out to play Musselman. Can't remember if that's week five or week six. That might be a game that we could put on. Uh, obviously, you have to tune in and continue to listen. But there's a lot of questions. You know, it's funny. We say this over and over, and I, I know it might be annoying to the listener this early in the season. But we've said every single week that we've picked our panhandle game of the week that there was going to answer questions. Week one, we realized that Hedgesville is going to not deal. be a bottom feeder in the conference. They're, they're the real deal. You know, and we realized that Martinsburg might have their best team ever. And then last week, I think we established ourselves that you know it might be a little bit of a rebuilding year for Washington. And Spring Mills is kind of on the come up as a team that's going to compete for a playoff spot. Maybe not make it, but they're so young and so talented that they're going to be a dangerous team next year and the year after that. And with the game that we're going to, we're going to have this week again with Jefferson and Musselman, we're going to answer who the second best team in the conference is, I really believe, uh, unless Hedgesville is able to sneak in there at the end of the season. So that's what's so important about us going around and covering all these different teams and doing all these different games. Every single time you tune in on a Friday night, there is a reason and there's going to be an answer, a question that will be answered when the game's over. No, absolutely. And I'm looking at it now. Musselman's got a pretty rough stretch of it here coming in this part of the season. Of course, they had Martinsburg last week. They get Jefferson this week. Then next week, you got to go to Sharando. And depending how Sharando plays against Martinsburg, I think we're going to have a lot of questions answered as a benchmark to how good Musselman's going to be this season as well. Then looking down the pipe, you've got Morgantown from Musselman, Willing Park, Hedgesville in a big matchup on October the 7th. And deeper into the season, you've got Bridgeport, you've got Parkersburg. I think a lot of questions are going to be answered from both Jefferson and Musselman this Friday, depending on who's going to be the maybe the third best team because may, maybe Hedgesville's the second best team and we haven't accounted for them as we should have in the preseason and a lot of questions are being answered right now and, it's going to be interesting how it's going to fold and think about Musselman could go four and six and be the second best team here because you know it's going to be tough to beat Morgantown it's going to be tough to beat Bridgeport it's going to be tough to beat uh Chirando, and you've already lost to Martinsburg I mean, that's the the brutality of playing a schedule like that and what we've said when we've talked about this team in the past is you know, Musselman's really good. They're talented, whatever. Even if they get into the playoffs, it's going to be hard for them to get in with better than a 6-4, and 5-5 five and five record. And AAA is stacked at the top. Nobody wants to be the team to play Musselman in the first round. You know, Cavill Midland, Wheeling Park, they're the rematch of a team that they could see in the first round of the playoffs. Parkersburg South. You know, Musselman getting into the playoffs at 5-5 five and five and being the 13 seed, they're not the team that you want to play in the first round of the playoffs. It's just an unbelievably brutal schedule. I think we're all rooting for the Appleman here to get in because if you can get into the playoffs with that tough of a schedule, even if you finish 500, you're a somebody and you're a team, again, that nobody would want to play. 
And make sure you stick around towards the end or the bottom of the hour, around 8.30. We'll have Metro News' Joe Bricado on to talk about well uh, high school football. A little bit more in depth. He was at the Martinsburg-Musman game, so maybe we can actually find out uh, how they scored all those points there in that second half. But that'll be coming up towards the end of the hour. When we come back after this break, we'll chat a little Shepherd football. And, uh, well, there's some pretty well, – well, I'm glad that Bajan and Grantham both got a little bit uh, of uh, more eyes on their play from this past week because they had a great game. Uh, and we also have another Shepherd football announcement coming up after the break here on Pan Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. So you're chatting West Virginia high school football, but as I was kind of scrolling through the uh, interwebs here during the break, I came across uh, a little Texas high school football, which I thought was pretty cool, guys. And it sounded like a pretty cool call. Now, of course, uh, Uvalde High School, everyone you know knows the tragic story and knows uh, everything surrounding that. But they had their first home game this past week and ended up winning 34-28, to uh, but it was in dramatic fashion after it was set up or the game-winning touchdown was set up by a 51-yard run with just 36 seconds remaining in the game. Man in motion. The handoff is going to Jared, or take that, Jonathan Jimenez, who doesn't get to turn the corner. No, he's coming back. He's coming back. How did he break out of that pile? He's got room to run. He's got blockers in front of the quarterback. He's out of the 40, the 35, the 30. Oh, he made his inside he's step. Out of gas. He's out of bounds at the 10-yard line with 17 seconds on the clock. 17 seconds remaining. Can they pull off this incredible victory? And into the end zone they go. And what a good! Touchdown, Uvalde! Pretty impressive call there for a pretty, you know, huge win. And that game-winning touchdown catch, by the way, was a pretty significant one-handed catch right in front of the referee. So uh, I thought that was a pretty neat little story to uh, uh, to at least listen back to. And as we were saying, as we listened to it a little bit there during the break, that sounded like, almost sounded like Metro News' Fred Persinger <laughs> on that call. Yeah, a little bit, but a good call. Obviously, a lot of emotion and what's going on there. And, you know... Uh, obviously doesn't amend all the wounds, but you know, high school football, it's special and it leads to a lot of good moments. And, you know, for a community that needs a couple of smiles, I'm glad that they got some there uh, because of what's going on under the lights. And talk about a great football community. Shepherdstown, West Virginia is a great football town. Uh, and with football season in full swing, that means, well, Tyson Bajan is getting weekly honors, which he seems to get every week. But him uh, and Dwayne Grantham, both receiving PSAC Offensive and Defensive uh, Player of the Week accolades this, from this their performance this pack week, past week. My goodness, I can't speak this morning, gentlemen. Uh, Tyson, of course, 394 yards in the air, five touchdowns. And Dwayne with a pretty, uh, I thought he had the best game on the defense last week. Eight tackles, two interceptions. The first interception really being a, uh, uh, I guess, momentum-solidifying interception. And the second one was pretty much a game-solidifying interception. So, uh, Parker, those two getting these uh, weekly honors, do you think they're deserving? Oh, absolutely. Well-deserved, yeah. Like we said, Tyson might win this award any week, every single week, and we not we won't complain about it at all he's just that dominant of a quarterback he's by far the best quarterback in the PSAC and arguably the best quarterback in division two it's you'd be hard pressed to find somebody better and then Dwayne Grantham coming in and already making an impact with an eight tackle two interception game at the linebacker position and with that being the big crutch of what if on this Rams team was the defensive side and if you got Dwayne Grantham leading the way with that it's going to be tough for any team in that PSAC to be able to stop the Rams and Notably, wanted to bring this up. We talked about this this past weekend. Kutztown, one of the biggest 
yeah. threats to Shepard this season dropped their opener, which was very shocking. They lost. What was the score again, Jordan? I can't remember what you said. Oh, I'll have to look it back up. But it was uh, maybe it was only like a touchdown difference. Who was an unranked opponent, wasn't yeah, it? Right? Was yeah, un- it was assumption. Unranked. They Which got beat by bad, assumption. Bad, bad for Shepard. Yeah, that's yes. yeah, it's you, bad optics. You you want to have if you're able to win that game later in the year, you want it to be against a better team. Yeah. yeah. You know, if Kutztown's not ranked anymore, you know that that would mean there's only one other ranked team in your schedule, and, and that's not ideal. But as far as Bajan is concerned, now your quarterback's on a four thousand yard, fifty touchdown pace for just the regular season. I know. You know, so you're not going to say no to that. And Grant, we talked about. You know, the questions in the secondary and the questions on this defense, Kyle Smith looked really good. The defense looked really good. Dominated the line of scrimmage, gave up a couple of big plays when it really didn't matter. So Shepard's back and the defense looks rejuvenated. But, you know, Grantham's so versatile. He's built like a safety and he plays like a safety. Mm -hmm. He stepped up in the box and played sideline to sideline, stopped the run. He could get after the quarterback, whatever. But, like, his ability to drop back, if you want to go into that cover three look and push the corners up towards the line of scrimmage and have him as an extra defensive back, you know, against a team that you know is going to throw the ball, depending on what down it is, it's like having an extra DB. And the thing about it is, is he's he's such a Swiss Army knife. Like I said, is what he can do at linebacker. He could drop back and play safety. He's athletic enough to play quarter if he really wanted to. Yeah. Can cover running backs. Can cover tight ends. Can cover whatever. You know, having that versatile, like a honey badger type of player, mm-hmm. and he's bigger. Having that kind of player on your defense, you know, can solve a lot of problems. And two very well deserving players of the award because I think especially Beige in the second half because he had a little bit of a shaky start. Those two more than anybody, uh, save Cook and maybe Brown at times, uh, impacted the win week one for Shepard more than anybody else. Yeah, he's six foot one, 205 pounds, playing uh, pretty much that middle linebacker-ish position, just linebacker general. So like you said, he said he just kind of goes back and forth uh, making plays. But he is kind of that new age type of defender or defensive player, uh, new age linebacker, where they're not those big brooding, you know, Ray Lewis type guys where, yeah, they can move around, they're quick, but they're, you know, huge muscle heads that are just going to stop the run and they're going to destroy you if you come across them. But you got to come across them to get that hit. He'll come find you and he'll lay that hit to you wherever you're at. And that'll probably take the ball from you at the same time, which is what makes him so interesting and fun to watch is that he can make all those plays. His second interception, I think he tipped it up to himself uh, and then had a diving catch before it hit the ground. So he, uh, I'm glad he got week one honors like that because it was well-deserving from that game. Yeah, absolutely. You want to talk about an athlete in the middle linebacker position. I likened him before someone like Devin White on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He might not be the biggest imposing guy. I think Devin White's about 5'11", 6 foot, if that. But he's a freak of nature. Runs across sideline to sideline, can pass rush, can do all sorts of things. And that's what Dwayne Grantham's going to bring to the Rams defense. He's a sideline to sideline athlete and a very special one to have. And I was just checking, guys, for the uh, top 25 rankings. Yeah, a- anything I've seen, t- Kutztown's dropped out of the top 25 they got completely. To. Yeah, of course they do. Yeah, lost 3 nothing by the way, to Assumption. Oh, what yeah, a 3 what, to nothing. What a, what a oh, terrible loss. That's like that a Big is, Ten game. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Frost is coaching Kutztown. I was about, I was about to say, was Iowa on the field for Kutztown? <laughs> Did you see that one? My goodness. And then the, I think uh, Slippery Rocks the only other team in the, out of the PSAC I'm seeing out of this D2Football.com rankings right here. They're ranked at number 20, and then they bump Shepard up to fifth, which deservedly so. They should be going up a little bit further, you would think. But they get to fifth there, and yeah, that's going to be a big question mark, I think, coming in later this season. The Kutztown loss was definitely one to hang your is not is what that was one of the games the Rams were looking forward to to see like, hey, this is a statement win for the season. Now is Kutztown going to fall apart after the assumption loss and then really your only team at that point you got Shippensburg who's on just on the outside looking in out of the top 25 I think and then you've got Slippery Rock 
and those are your only quality opponents. Are people going to value that come playoff time? And then you've got Frostburg, I think, is eligible to play in the regional, I think, this year. So, yeah. you've got Notre Dame as well they could be coming into. Is that going to be a cause for concern come playoff time for the Rams? That's what, I, that's what I'm wondering with that. Are they going to have a quality opponent to test themselves in the PSAC? Well, to really make that assumption loss sting, that field goal that they ended up losing by came at the end of the first quarter. <laughs> Oh so my that God. was so coming back to the sideline. The defensive coordinator's like, "Good job, guys. Bent didn't break. We'll get it back. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Long game." Well, the end of the little first did he quarter, know. They allowed just 208 total yards of offense and lose three to nothing after a late first quarter it, field goal to a. Was it a home game or a road game? Home game, I believe. Oh, I was going to say yeah. that, that's where you make the defense and the offense ride home on separate buses because the defense <laughs> does not want to have a conversation with the offense well, after hey, that game. Well, they're used to back to back, I guess. Now heartbreaking losses at that field. Of course, last time they played was when Shepard was winning on the Hail Mary to go the National Semis. So very interesting. Yeah, not a not an ideal start for the old Golden Bears uh, of Cutstown. But make sure you stick around. Coming up after the break, we'll be chatting with Metro News' Joe Bercato to talk about high school football across the state and hear what actually happened at the end of that Martinsburg Muscleman game this past week. So stick around. That's coming up here on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, part of the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Got to mention one more thing about uh, Shepherd football before that break, and it's that coming up on Thursday, starting on Thursday... Uh, out at Captain Bender's Tavern, more than your average tavern in historic Sharpsburg, Maryland, is the Ernie McCook Shows. Come on out starting at 730. Uh, myself and Coach McCook will be uh, out there chatting about Shepherd football, talking about the ins and outs. And while you're uh, you know listening, you can come on out and have a couple of drinks, have some wings, have some food, maybe uh, heckle some stuff at us, ask Coach a couple of questions, anything you want. We're out at Captain Bender's Tavern during the Ernie McCook Show, which is starting this Thursday and happening every Thursday uh, out at Captain Bender's Tavern in historic Sharpsburg, Maryland. But let's get back into the uh, high school football talk across the great state of West Virginia. And joining us is Metro News statewide uh, correspondent, Brad, Brad McElhenney. I got into my panhandle. <laughs> I got in my panhandle live zone there. Joe Bercato. Joe, how you doing this morning? I am nowhere near as cool as Brad McElhenney. <laughs> I'll, I'll take any title you give me. Then nobody is as good as Brad McElhenney. But I want to get into the main thing and that uh, Martinsburg Muscleman game yesterday or this past week was shaping up to really be you know one of the biggest games in the state and at halftime well it was shaping out to be just that and then the next thing I know Martinsburg's up by 30 some points so what happened in that span of like 10 minutes uh, to where that game got out of hand yeah a couple things and give all credit to Muscleman for playing a really good first half uh, they get a scoop and score touchdown and a pair of pa- uh, touchdown passes from Baden Hartman to Ray Adamas they go in the locker room down just six, pretty hyped up, pretty energized, and we think we're going to have a, a good competitive game in the second half. And then uh, Martinsburg really just uh, flips the switch, and uh, defensively they rolled a little bit more coverage over on Ray Adonis' side and, and did what they could to try to limit his ability to catch the football. Uh, did a great job defensively and then, and then offensively. It really, it was a continuation of a lot of things that they did in the first half. They were just able to uh, – worked their quick passing game, and it was a game where Ezra Bajor made a lot of good decisions and uh, was very effective in getting out of the pocket and extending some plays. And uh, really, throughout the entire game, Martinsburg's offense was uh, as dangerous as one could imagine. 
Uh, well, there not been a ton of talk statewide, Joe, uh, about the Hartman to Adamas connection as far as Musselman is concerned. But can you say after at least in the first half of play that them uh, and the Appleman kind of came as advertised as a team that's looking to make some moves here in Class AAA? Yeah, I think look, everybody expected Musselman to be significantly improved this year. They had a lot of things go against them last year namely having to replace every single starter on, on both sides of the football. Uh, and we knew that Musselman was going to be improved, and I think they made a good accounting of themselves in the first half, specifically that connection that you uh, mentioned. Uh, the first touchdown pass was a long touchdown pass, I believe, 67 yards from Hartman to Adamas, where Adamas really just uh, shook free of his defender and uh, got in the clear. second touchdown was just before halftime to cut the deficit in half to six points, and uh, it was a good play by Hartman uh, rolling out to his right, kind of extending the play. Adamas got on the back of the end zone, found some space, and uh, sat down, and Hartman hit him with a good pass. So, uh, yeah, that's a connection that's certainly going to, uh, I'm sure, improve throughout the course of the season, and it's already pretty darn good now. And now, Joe, I was taking a look at this morning's Metro News poll for AAA, and I was left scratching my head with how Musselman was voted for in the poll. I was <laughs> I was seeing Spring Mills get three votes when just last week Musselman beat the Cardinals 27 to nothing. Left me scratching my head. Were people thinking that that loss to Martinsburg really impacted the Appleman that much? Because look at looking at it from that point of view, I just I I was scratching my head seeing Musselman only have one vote. That was a little bit surprising to me, no question about it. Uh, so <laughs> tough, tough to defend that as to where that team, but I think Musselman certainly is a top-10 team, uh, and you know, if they get a victory over Jefferson this week, I'm sure they'll find their way back in. And we're speaking with Metro News' Joe Bricado. So with that being your first time laying your eyes on this uh, rendition of the Martinsburg Bulldogs, do you think they're the real deal? Oh, no question about it. And I think uh, you know, talking with their head coach, Britt Sherman, afterwards, he was – happy that they had a little bit of scoreboard pressure at halftime. He said, you know, they didn't really make any major adjustments at halftime or, you know, change anything radically. It was just better execution and, and kind of taking some of the emotion of the first half out of it, which they did. And I think, you know, if this team is clicking on all cylinders, I, I don't know that there's many teams that can realistically uh, make a claim to beat them. I did see Spring Valley and Huntington in week one. Both of those teams are very good. Spring Valley obviously got the victory in that game, but I just I would be surprised if we get to December and a team other than Martinsburg is hoisting the trophy. Uh, well, Joe, obviously you have ears all over the state of West Virginia when it comes to the conversation generated around high school sports and high school football, and specifically in AAA. Uh, there's now five different teams from the EPAC that are receiving votes in the Metro News poll. Uh, I got to watch the Metro News top plays as well that uh, in the top three uh, featured that long run from Murphy Clement that might have been the longest in Bulldogs history. And then uh, I, I believe tied for number one was that one-handed catch by Jefferson's Isaiah Fritz. So, I mean, is the, the Eastern Panhandle, the EPAC in specifically, uh, starting to generate more well-deserved attention in the eyes of uh, not just North Central West Virginia and what we're talking about out here, but uh, statewide? I think so, and I think you'll certainly have a minimum of three playoff teams uh, in Class AAA this year. You can maybe even uh, possibly make a case for fourth if some things work out. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that play from Isaiah Fritz, a tremendous uh, one-handed catch where he's kind of reaching over the back of his head full speed and uh, makes a great play on, on the ball, and you can uh, check that out at the website. But uh, I do think that uh, you're looking at guaranteed three, possibly uh, four teams coming out of the Eastern Panhandle, which – uh, would be a very good accounting for the uh, the level of football there. 
And yeah, Joe, another team I want to point out after Eastern Panhandle, we talked about them being a little bit of a surprise from our eyes here, was Hedgesville. The Eagles have impressed so far in their first couple games, and they've looked pretty good. We've thought they maybe be take a claim as the, top, as the second best team here in the EPAC outside of Jefferson and Musselman possibly. So what's your thoughts on the Eagles? Do you think they got a good shot to be that second team to come out of the EPAC? It could very well be, no question about it. Uh, to be off to a 2-0 and start, you have to like what Matt Faircloth has done there. Uh, they've got a, a team in East Fairmont uh, this week that may not necessarily generate a lot of buzz, but that will be uh, a good test for them. Uh, East Fairmont's probably a team that, you know, they lost their opener, but I do believe it's a program that's, that's on the ascent. So a good test uh, for the Eagles this week in the uh, second game of their home-and-home series against East Fairmont. But, uh, yeah, no, impressive start to the season for, for the Eagles, no doubt. If you want to see more in-depth Joe Bercato analysis, you can find it over at Metro News at WVMetroNews.com. But, uh, Joe, thank you for joining us this morning, and hopefully you get a little bit of rest. I know you're going to be all crisscrossing the state all uh, well the rest of the football season, so maybe you can kick your feet up a little bit for a while. Well, we'll see uh, GW and Hurricane this week, and then, uh, then we'll take it from there. Awesome. Well, again, uh, Joe Bercato, thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. And that was Metro News' Joe Bricado. You can find all of his analysis and uh, uh, reporting over at WVMetroNews.com. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that the Martinsburg game, I guess it, it, there's just no answer to him. Uh, it seems like the, yeah. your, you, your only chance to get them is in the first half, and you have a finite amount of time, and then after they figure out what they want to get going or when they want to get going, then you have no shot. And by the way, you guys need to pull up that Fritz catch if you haven't seen it yet. It was a, a, a spectacular for the Metro News' top place for Jefferson. But as far as Martinsburg concerned, it's like Shepard. And now that you know, you know, we weren't sure what their front line is going to look like because they were young. And yep. we didn't know what their defense is going to look like because they don't want to have, have to have a ton of two-way players. But now that you've seen them and you know how dominant they've been, I ask you where the weakness is. You know, they're unbelievable up front. We kept talking about Deshaun Reed and his ability to control the line of scrimmage and the weapons that they have outside the hash marks. Buzz Dover is somebody that I don't think people are talking about near That's enough. The greatest name in EPAC oh, football. I know, I know. And not to mention him and Jameer Hunter. Yeah. You know, Hunter, we're like, oh, he's a speed guy. They air it down the field. He'd make stuff after the catch. He's shifty. Uh, they've got depth in the backfield. They've got two really good quarterbacks. You know, that's the thing. You know, I'd be insensitive. But, you know, there's so many teams in the EPAC that we look at them right now and you think, well, if the quarterback goes down, that's their season. Mm-hmm. And that's the case yeah. for teams in college football, the NFL, whatever. Well, Martinsburg has two, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, they have three. From what I understand, their GV quarterback's unbelievable. Uh, so they're in a position where they've got the depth. You know, uh, w- their starting running back, whose name just completely left my mind, Xavion Kendall, uh, mm-hmm. gets hurt, and uh, we'll hope to see him back on the field soon. But then Grantham comes in and looks unbelievable. EJ King comes in looks unbelievable. The depth that they have at running back is unbelievable. That they just replace guys, you know, and and when he comes back, Kendall, that's going to be even more unbelievable because they get their starting running back back. So the there's no weakness with that Martinsburg team, Musselman. You know, it was kind of ironic last year. One of the things the that people said that was great about Hedgesville was Hedgesville played a perfect half against Martinsburg last year. Oh, it was amazing to watch. It was twenty one nothing. You know, and that's what everybody was hanging their hat on. That's how good Martinsburg is, which, again, is a huge, huge, huge props that we should send to Musselman. It was 26 to 20. Yeah. But that's just how dominant 
Martinsburg is. Now they're going to have to earn it against Highland Springs. Jefferson, I think, is going to be a, a tougher game. Musselman was a very tough game, but man, oh man, they're so dominant. See, I'm watching the uh, the Metro News Top Plays video right now. That Murphy Clement run was something special. Yeah, it was. There. Something special. I mean, he broke like six tackles. And in those purple jerseys, too, is their Cancer Awareness Night uh, out at Coburn Field. So the purple jerseys make it look a little bit more special. But, uh, wow, there's so much talent in uh, high school football across the EPAC. It's incredible. Absolutely. And going back to that Martinsburg conversation, the fact that you got – Two of the top three ranked quarterbacks in the state of West Virginia on your roster speaks volumes to that Bulldogs roster and how deep it is. And like I mentioned before, if a guy goes down, there's a guy just as good, if not maybe will be better if he's an underclassman in a couple years on that roster. It's it's ridiculous how loaded and stacked that Bulldogs team is. And like Joe said, it's it's going to be a shock if we see a team other than the Bulldogs hosting the trophy come December. It's, it's- it's going to be a shock if they run their schedule and don't finish ranked top 20 in the country. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm surprised they don't get as much national attention as they do. And, I mean, I think that's people, you know, looking down their noses at West Virginia. And Britt Sherman, because of that, he said, okay, we'll play Sharando, We'll yeah. play uh, Highland Springs. They played a team in Cleveland last year. You know, he wants that kind of notoriety. If they run the table this year against the schedule, they should be ranked in the top 25. Man, I just watched that Jefferson catch, too. <laughs> Ooh, boy, that was, was that, that was a, a good catch. catch. Man, jumped off the back foot, too. Didn't even take a uh, leap off that kind of lead foot there. Kind of off-balance, one-handed catch right in the middle of the uh, field and gets laid out. How much right as confidence does that. that give you as a quarterback? You know, it's like... The, to know that you can just put it out there. The, the memes with, with Kyler Murray, remember, oh, forget it. Hopkins is out there somewhere. And just throw yeah. it down the field. <laughs> just you know? chuck it. But you've got those kind of weapons that have that big of a catch radius. You know, when you've got a... Uh, a younger quarterback in Goins that can make those kind of throws and trust his receivers to make plays for him. And again, tune in this Friday because those wide receivers will be on display against Musselman. Now we got a few minutes left, and I want to talk about the Orioles because, well, they might yes. might have just done themselves in these last couple yeah. of games. Yeah, it's uh, they dropped a doubleheader yesterday against the Blue Jays, and I talked about it at length yesterday on Panhandle Sports Live. They needed to play close to flawless baseball throughout the month of September as possible. And losing two to the Blue Jays, a team you're trying to chase and overtake in the American League wild card, losing back-to-back against them, oh, that that has hurt, if not maybe killed their chances of getting into that wild card spot and making the playoffs. Because, again, it's they're not going to be winning the American League East. The Yankees have all but locked that up, even though the Yankees have mightily struggled here in the past few weeks they've been banged up they've been injured but looking at the wild card race right now you've got the blue jays they're now 75 and 59 the Orioles are now four and a half games back that's going to be a tough tough mountain to climb they've lost three straight games now they dropped their last game against the a's in that series and it's gonna it's gonna be a tough hill to climb you're down four and a half games you got a blue jays team that's playing good the mariners and the rays are both sitting at a half game up on the jays it's it's going to be tough. The Orioles, at, I said they need to play close to flawless baseball. At this point, you probably do need to play flawless baseball if you want to get into the playoffs. And again, I want to say this. If you're an Orioles fan, if you're rooting for the Orioles to get into the playoffs, like a lot of us are, if they don't make it, don't hang your head. Don't get upset at this team. No one expected them to be in this spot at all. Like, like I mentioned yesterday, we expect them to be sitting with the Tigers and the Royals and the Rangers in the standings this year, to be honest with you. The fact that they're in this position right now with the roster they have is fantastic. And they got some guys coming up in the next couple of years. If you're an Orioles fan, things are looking up. Yeah, it's a shame that they get outscored in these games 15-7 to 7 when they've hung their hat on pitching. You know, as things are starting to unravel, the two stats that come to mind when you look at kind of the downfall of this team not being able to continue their success, which, by the way, 
four and a half games back against a Blue Jays team that's very talented, that has very good pitching, and less than 30 games left to play. That's bleak. Uh, but you're five games below 500 on the road, and you're five games below 500 against teams with below 500 records. That means losing teams, teams with losing records, you have a below 500 record against. And th- that, in the end, your inability to win on the road and your inability to beat bad teams, I think is what's going to really define this season for the Orioles. When you go back and you look at that game against the Cubs and, and and you go back and you look at teams against the White Sox and the Tigers or whoever that you, you know, that you dropped easy games against, that in the end is going to be, unfortunately, what epitomizes this season. It's not over yet, but 27 games left. Uh, it's not hyperbolic to say you probably have to win at least 18, if not 20 of those games. I don't necessarily know if they're built for that. Uh, and Parker's absolutely right. I mean, this the fact that every prospect that they bring up seems to be better than the last, and they still have more, mm-hmm. you're in good hands for the future, and it's just nice to see this team compete. They don't hang your head too low if you're a Maryland sports fan. Also, because Maryland's own Maryland Terrapin tennis standout, Francis Tiafo was the one that upset uh, Rafa yesterday in, US, in the U.S. Open. I uh, love seeing that, especially because he's still in, I, it's like this with I think everyone that went to the University of Maryland, they still <laughs> all the time wear Maryland stuff. It's much like uh, some uh, West Virginia sports fan there. You you know somebody's from West Virginia because they always got the flying WV either on their car, truck, or shirt they're wearing. Uh, and that's the same way it seems with people that went to the University of Maryland. But shout out Francis Tiafo, even though he took out my uh, personal favorite tennis player, uh, Rafael Nadal. But Nonetheless, like to see that. Stick around. We'll come back. We'll have Parker's picks. And we'll wrap things up here on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Icewinner. Alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. And Parker, what are your picks looking like for today? All right, so to track back to yesterday's picks, went two for three yesterday, the lock of the day, while it gave me a little bit of a worry shock there in the first half. Clemson did cover against Georgia Tech. That one settled in as well as the Guardians ended up beating the Royals. I think that was the story of yesterday in extra innings. So the Guardians covered on the money line, but sadly, I'm the one who called the uh, Dodgers beating the Giants. But lo and behold, my curse with that game strikes again because the Giants ended up beating the Dodgers. So into today's slate, I'm locking in the Braves over the A's today. I think that's a solid choice. Kyle Wright's going to be pitching for the Braves. The Braves have looked really good. They're going to be the top wild card team in the National League. They might sweep out the Mets at some point, but I'm liking the Braves. They're playing really good ball right now, and they're they're going to try and repeat as World Series champs. So I'm locking in the Braves over the A's. And my bonus picks for today, I like the Padres over the Diamondbacks. They did lose yesterday, but. The Padres are going to keep trying to keep wins up and lock in that last spot of the wild card for the National League. And then my last one, I'm going to go under 11 total runs today for the Brewers and the Rockies. I know it's in Coors Field. You're like, whoa, well, don't, why are you picking the under for Coors Field? But here's what I'm thinking here. Between the Brewers and the Rockies, who's got a big slugging bat on that team? Rowdy Telez, maybe, and, that, and that's it. Maybe Hunter Renfro. But I, I, I think out of that, it's, I think the under is going to be a safe bet for those two. So what's your lock? Lock again, Braves over the A's for today. Braves over the A's. All right. And uh, think about football again. Well, the Steelers, they've named their quarterback. They also have an emergency press conference at 1 o'clock today. We don't really know what that's for. Yeah, the general manager called that one. Uh, Art Rooney's, mm-hmm. what is it, the second at yeah. this point? Yeah, or 15th, uh, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. There's a million of them. People don't know. It's, uh, I'm assuming it's going to be major renovations to Acrisure Stadium. Uh, maybe they're bringing the ketchup bottle back. You never know. To imagine. Or... 
Ben Roethlisberger is coming out of retirement. Oh, <laughs> that's the that last, would be that's that would the be the best news story to see. That would be the best. But so, do you think it kind of hurts the Roonies and like the Steelers organization knowing that uh, the biggest crowd to ever be at their stadium <laughs> was for their crowning game. stadium wasn't for Ravens Steelers. It wasn't for you know Cowboys. It wasn't for a big Steelers game. It wasn't for anything like that. It was for a college game. Do you think that kind of hurts the pride a little bit? I don't know because it was standing room only tickets that they released that they wouldn't be willing to for an NFL game. Maybe I guess now. Now the thing is, now they can leverage the city of Pittsburgh for their next playoff game, which yeah. it could never it never happen again. I don't know. Yeah. To say okay, well you gave them two thousand, we want twenty five hundred standing room tickets. Uh, maybe, um, but the last. Uh, most uh, attended sporting event was also a pit football game. The record that they broke was uh, Penn State, and I think it was 2016. So I don't think the Steelers fans really care, especially because pit games usually average 12,000 people. You know, I've been to pit games, ashamedly, and it's <laughs> like watching a high school crowd dispersed around an NFL stadium. Uh, you know, obviously that's going to change now that people pretend like they've been pit fans this whole time, which I think is another thing that rubs salt in the wound of the backyard brawl. You know, so I was, have you gotten over it yet? I don't no. think you have. I was there for that <laughs> no. that Pitt WVU soccer game on Monday when Pitt beat WVU three 0 and they sold out their little rinky dink stadium. And you know, guys were like, we were having a good time joshing around, talking to pit fans. And it was, you know, one thing we kept saying over and over, and you could tell we were right because they weren't responding to it. Is this is clearly your first match? You cannot name one player. You know, there's a lot of Pitt fans that are pretending to care about Pitt football because they beat West Virginia. There was just over 70,000 people in attendance for that game uh, this past Thursday. And last year, they averaged for a Steelers game just over 60,000. Mm. So there's 10,000 more people in attendance for that game. Pretty yeah. impressive. Is Mitch Trubisky going to take him to the playoffs, by the way? Oh, gosh. I, I think the AFC is too loaded. I don't think it's possible. I mean, every team out of the AFC West could realistically make the playoffs. And then you've got you've got the Patriots who may could be, could make a wild card. The Dolphins added a lot of good pieces. There's, it's a very competitive AFC, I and think. you have to feel terrible for Trubisky because it was the same thing that happened to him. What well, happened to the guy ahead of him, whose name escapes me, when he was in Chicago. You know, everybody's favorite player is the backup quarterback. Yeah. The second he starts to struggle, the fact that Kenny Pickett went to Pitt, I mean, they're going to be calling for his head. The same way they're calling for dude, uh, DJ Muyangalele's head, although yeah. he also did play terrible. As Mitchell Trubisky is going to have, you know, the most uh, stab of the back fan support from Steeler oh, fans yeah. the second he starts to struggle because everybody wants to see Kenny Pickett play so bad. Who, by the way, not that it means anything, is third on the depth chart behind Mason Rudolph. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what shocked me, and I've said it. Bef- I said it before here on the show. I said if P- Kenny Pickett wasn't the Week One starter, I think the Steelers had failed in that sense because with Ken- with Kenny Pickett, the way I saw him is he has a low floor. You know, excuse me, he has a high ceiling and he has a lo- very low floor. I, yeah, I meant, you got that right. Yeah, you got it right. I, I, I it, he, has, he has a low ceiling but a high floor. That's what I meant to say. So with Kenny, he's got, it's kind of like how we saw Mac Jones last year. He's not going to wow you away with anything, but he'll be a decent game manager. But before we end today's show, guys, we do need to bring this up. That uh, Neil Brown video from Sunday. <sighs> what, what, embarrassing. Is that? That is, is, a, is that? Yeah, what a, is that was a completely unnecessary. I I I, I was very concerned. I had that. no question that Neil Brown had job security until I watched that video. I know that's no. what it seemed like. It seemed like you know the the ex like that cheated on you that's trying to get you back type of video. It, it seemed like he was worried. Like it, it seemed like I was like, well, it feels like the fans have turned on me. It feels like they are not feeling this regime anymore. And he, this is basically like, okay, hey, come out to first night game. And he, he he sounded defeated. Like the entire video, he sounded mellow, sad, defeated. 
it, it's concerning. It's concerning that he's putting out a plea video to come out to the game, and I I don't know. And yeah, that seems it seems way too early. Way too yeah, early no, for no. a video like that. Week one loss. I mean, a tough loss. Yeah, maybe that people are very critical of some decisions he made, but that's uh, that's normal. I mean, it's that's football after a loss like s- that. Simple logic is they're about to score eighty points over the next two games and beat two bad teams, and then we can all forget about this and move on. There's that was just a poorly timed video. Yeah, not not a good look. I don't think yeah. for old uh, Coach Brown. But if you missed any of Panhandle Sports Live, they can listen back to it a little bit later on over on our Panhandle News Network Facebook page. But for uh, Parker and Luke, I'm Jordan. It's been Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. We will talk to you tomorrow. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here, too.